podcast, episode 60, a sequel chat movie review of Justice League. Chat is a movie lovers podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. All right, we are united in this the fact that we've seen Justice League, and here we are in the sequel chat studios. Colton. Hey, how's it going? Adam. My man. And my Batman self, Jeremy. <laughs> you are the Batman. I Not am. the ginger man. <laughs> First try. Oh boy. So we saw Justice League. Twice. Twice. Oh, really? Yeah. First time regular, second time IMAX. Nice. Okay. I was hoping we were going to get an IMAX perspective for this one. Mm. That's good to hear. Although, I don't think it did uh, Henry Cavill any favors seeing an I didn't realize how extensive that was going to be. I thought it was just going to be a mustache that was covered up. Yeah, no. <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize that Paramount had ordered a whole beard. And uh... well, Should we just get into that? Yeah. Should we just start off right there? Yeah, we're going to start with a little bit of the negative here. Mm-hmm. Because... The, the, the lip elephant to the room. Yeah, the obvious. <laughs> Henry Cavill contractually had to keep a mustache during all of the reshoots. Which means... 90 plus percent of Superman scenes that made the final cut or the theatrical cut. It felt even higher than 90 percent, I gotta tell you. Yeah, they all include a CGI Superman upper lip. So that was the only thing I knew about the movie going in. Like, I watched like the first and second trailer and then I was just like, okay, I'm not gonna spoil anything else for myself, but I couldn't help on Twitter, passing by constantly. Henry Cavill, how did they get rid of the mustache? How did they get rid of the facial hair for Justice League? I, I didn't even read those articles. I just knew, oh, really? oh, yeah, I was like, uh, I don't want to know how they did it because it's going to look terrible. Yeah, well, and it was one of those things where, you know, the first time you see it is the first scene of the film and him on a cell phone camera, which I don't know if they assumed that was going to, be, you know, oh, well, you'll, you'll, it's a digital blur because it's a cell phone camera, but he looked like 100% CGI to me. It yeah. wasn't just yeah. the face. And I was like, what happened? Like, did they literally only have him to do, like, the voice work, then <laughs> not have him on set for reasons? Maybe like, do a little golem, had him wear the suit. And a little get. bit. <laughs> some mocap yeah narratively i love that scene but yeah the the cgi there was uh jarring yeah especially on the face so the one thing if they were going to have this much extensive cgi'd upper lip they could have saved their budget for steppenwolf 
who also looked matte and unfinished, mm-hmm. by just having him come out of the grave with a beard. Well, and I thought, again, from scrolling through Twitter, it, se- it seemed like, and I didn't realize it was just fan art, but it seemed like he, they were constantly showing him in the black costume with the beard. And so right. I thought, oh, they are doing that. Yeah. That, that looked like fan art to me. I got to admit, I wasn't fooled by that. It looked like fan art. Oh, yes, okay. most of it was they they took his uh, his bearded look from Man of Steel, from the early pre Superman stuff. Ah, uh, okay. And and put it on the body because there were promotion there there was a black suit made for Man of Steel. So oh wow, that's they what I, I going to ask that about. I I think Henry Cavill shared that on Twitter a long time ago. Yeah. And it really looked like that was going to be part of this film. And... Yeah, no, they used it in that one dark dream scene where him and oh, Zod yeah. are talking, and he's in falling into the, the mountain of yeah. skulls. That was a black suit he was wearing. He was wearing the black suit. I didn't. I never noticed that. Yeah, they color graded it so that it had a tint to okay. it, but it, it was pretty much it was the black suit. Okay. Did you guys also think his voice sounded very different in this movie when he like, got angry? Like, yeah well he he just well not not even i'm talking about like the end like the climax of the film when he you know when he was making all his quips like just something about his voice sounded so different yeah more gruff or something i was like he'd rise from the dead he's doing a zombie voice like i don't know what he was going for there however i did love that ironic reversal of do you bleed oh that was great does the world need you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Evil Superman was good. Uh, my theater almost died laughing. Superman, right? Yeah, my <laughs> my, my theater yeah. almost died laughing when the Flash goes pet cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to facial issues, real uh-huh. quick. Now that we're talking about the Flash, too, there was one moment. I don't know if you guys, you know, you saw it twice, Colton. If you yeah. noticed it, but when Batman is telling the Flash, trying to convince him to save one hostage, the angle on Batman in the shadows on his nose made the mask look like it was on crooked. <laughs> and I kept expecting the flash to like awkwardly try to point it out to him. Like it was going to be a joke and then he would straighten it and then go back and fight. But it didn't happen. It was just a bad angle on him. Jeremy, did you see this? Uh, I, I didn't slightly see this. remember it. And, and it was most definitely, it was a reshoot. Yeah. So, Cause it's a close so up. much, so much of this movie was reshot. So essentially how you can tell a lot of the reshoots was if it looked zoomed in on kind of a talking head style shot, upper torso, and the background was super bokeh or blurred out, that was totally a CGI background on a sound studio where they did the reshoot to get the lines. Mm -hmm. And it, it sticks out. It's jarring. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Granted... Whedon pretty much was handed this and said, well, make a movie out of it. Oh, and it's got to be under two hours. This is right up there with James Wan when he was handed Furious 7. Uh, Yes. This kind of reminds me of that, where it's just like, here's this mess. There was a tragedy that happened. Right. There you go. Well, yeah. James Wan handled it pretty much perfectly. And here, Joss Whedon. But he was the director of the whole movie. Oh, yeah. So... there's I mean. there's stylistic things he has yeah. to change, yes, but we know why it's jarring. Mm-hmm. There's somebody literally missing from the cast. Mm-hmm. Maybe, and the, I mean, the other way I think you could tell that 
it was a Whedon scene is it's funny. Like there's <laughs> humor. Yeah. Two guys dig at a grave, you know? Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, it seemed like a reshoot scene to me was the whole debate over whether or not to resurrect Superman. Like the whole conversation there. My one concern with that is it really showed Gal Gadot's limited acting range. That felt like a high school play to me. That whole argument that everybody calls out, you know, Steve Trevor, like just she didn't really emote in such a way. It was just like, oh, I'm angry. So I kind of yell, you know, like it just like that's that was kind of the level of the performance there, which, you know, she's. She's good in moments, but that one was not one of them. However, before she did anything, the moment he goes, did Steve Trevor tell you that? I couldn't stop myself. I audibly went, oh, you're, you're, <laughs> okay, you're a so, dead man. Yeah, I knew things had slowed down enough in the story that I was like, now's a pee break. So I was literally had my back to the screen when he mentioned Steve Trevor. And in the little hallway there leading to the doors, I'm like, oh, You almost lost your pee, didn't you? (laughs) Almost. (laughs) I know Bruce did. All right, so I've got a little working theory here. That essentially, Joss Whedon remade the Justice League as the Avengers. Like his second chance at the Avengers? No, 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 no. He just pretty much turned the Justice League into the Avengers movie. Sure. Okay, so the baddie dismantles the team as individuals. Granted, most of these are pretty cliche. So it's Mm -hmm. you grab a bunch of cliches, throw them together, mix it up. The baddie dismantles the team as individuals and their first meeting. The team gets at each other's throats and are on edge. The leaders, the rich guy, and the older soldier step up and begin discussing plans, needing to regroup as a team with differing opinions. The rich guy attempts a Hail Mary. The big guy for the hero side is brought out, then disappears for a good while. Well, the baddie has a weapon. The good guys dispose of it or take it from him his axe or Loki's staff Mm -hmm. and the good guys win and take it out by the big guy showing up for the final battle. I like Uh, that they varied away from the big blue thing pointing into the sky and they turned it into a blue dome instead. Yeah. But you could tell they were akin. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the baddie, I mean, we obviously mentioned that Ares, or Ares, see, there it is right there. He looked like yeah, Ares Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman to me. I was just like, again? No, Ares looked better. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but really, like, he looked like a video game cutscene villain, right? But I felt like the Steppenwolf-Joss Whedon controversy that was reported, that he liked a tweet that was trashing Steppenwolf, saying he was just Malekith from Thor the Dark World. No, he was worse. Yeah. Worse than Malekith. But what I'm saying is, Joss Whedon liked it. He didn't come out and make a statement or tweet his own trashing. That's what like every line, you know, byline or whatever made it sound like that he was going after his own work. And that wasn't the case at all. Yeah, everybody likes clicks. Yeah. And granted, you know, had, had Joss been in charge from the get-go, Steppenwolf wouldn't have been your bad guy. He would have gone full dark side? No, he probably would have made Superman the baddie. That right? would have been they, awesome. And then yeah. the twist at the end would be them getting him back on their side just in time for insert mid credit scene here kind of thing. Well, yeah, because it would have made it feel like, yeah, more more of a personal situation, more higher stakes. I mean, because to me, like the goals of Steppenwolf are clear, 
I'm going to collect three mother boxes and unify them. But his personal motivations really are not. He keeps talking about mother. And then we learn in a flashback, he was exiled at the beginning of time after trying to conquer earth and fighting the United forces of the earth. When he sent, he sends out his minions to go find the third mother box. And you can hear him sing for dark side. Yes, Darkseid gets a mention, Mm -hmm. but more than likely Steppenwolf is on the outside looking in at Mm -hmm. this point, and this is one of his reconciliation projects, which he failed again. I mean, it felt to be almost more like Thanos, like trying to impress death. That he was trying to impress Darkseid or something. Like, look what I did, you know? I brought destruction to this world, and I'm going to rule it. And and I'm splitting hairs a little bit here. I don't think he was worse than Malekith. His appearance was worse, but his character... I'm I'm splitting hairs here. I found him at least a little more compelling than Malekith. For starters, I can actually tell you his plan. I still can't explain Malekith's plan, (laughs) okay? For me, that's kind of a clincher. Well, it, to me, see, the differences between Malekith and Steppenwolf in this case, Steppenwolf at least had two moments that gave him some type of, like, gravity and some type of, oh, he likes to taunt people. Because I really enjoyed, first of all, when, you know, he's torturing that guy, the the janitor guy. He's like, I have a family. Why does everyone keep telling me? <laughs> right. It shows you how yeah, milked like, he is of all kinds. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I like that moment with Cyborg. Are you are you getting ready to do that? or? No, no. Tell me, tell me about that one, yeah. He recognizes that Cyborg's abilities are born of the mother box. And he's like, right. you, you are born of it. You are a creature yeah. of chaos. And he's like, I don't think so. And he's like, give it time. I like that. <laughs> I mean, to, I was going to say... When he's battling Diana and he says, my axe is still wet with the blood of your sisters. You know, like that type of thing. And she has just that little tweak again, just that little moment where you're like, okay, it's on. So that's why like he he definitely took a step up for me from actually several Marvel villains. When I was like, okay, you know what? He's got a little something here. Not overall, but he's a little bit better. Now, what do you think of the choice of purely CGI Steppenwolf? Well, I hated how Ares looked in Wonder Woman. So to me i was like you know what they might as well just go all the way like it's we know it's just going to be kind of a generic bad guy if they had an actor who didn't have to be in makeup and that was the way because in this case they said we're going to make him a big giant guy so if you're going to enlarge an actor to me that does look stupid but if they are just going to say you know yeah he's a monster then yeah let him be cg i'm fine with that now think about it this way i mean it filmmaking you you can play with tricks and it's all illusions and everything so why not put an actor in prosthetics for the close-up scenes where he's monologuing where he's talking where he's jawing to the heroes and then for the extended scenes make it all cgi for the action well yeah because like i i really thought they did a good job in like thor with with the the king you know of the frost giants he looked awesome in prosthetics you know and he was a giant guy. So, yeah, I guess it could work that way, like you said. Christopher Eccleston, I think, was the actor. Or, no, that was Malekith. Okay, he was, yeah. Ma- oh. was Malekith, okay. yeah. All right. Whoops. <laughs> Wrong villain. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. Com Fiore. I think that was... Okay, yeah, I got them. Yeah. Those strong C's. So, yeah, messed me up. Right. How did you guys feel about the fact that they are really milking Zod's ship? for all they can of that deus ex machina kryptonian technology can do anything we don't know what it can do but it can do everything (laughs) batman basically said that you know i mean why why hasn't batman 
Yeah, well, granted, now he's got Cyborg on his team. Why haven't they taken the little computer from there and just extracted all the information off of it? That way the, the government can do what they want with the ship. Let it, Star Labs have it, whatever. But yeah, that thing's going to be in the middle of the city forever. Everybody's connected to it somehow. Well, it's it's out of power now. <laughs> Come, oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's why the right. Flash had to do his thing. Yeah, so... Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really give that any thought. I guess Doomsday drained it. Yeah, he yeah. he short circuited it. Mm. That's what it, that's what Cyborg said. Oh, that's why they couldn't jumpstart it. Must have missed that dialogue. Yeah. There. So Adam, what what are your thoughts on the uh, Kryptonian ship? It feels to me like this universe that they're creating right now has like only three, maybe four settings. You're gonna go to Zod's ship. You're going to go to the Superman monument. You're going to go to Themyscira, you know, and then you're going to go to some form of the Batcave. And that's where they kind of do everything. And and Smallville from time to time, sprinkled yeah, in there. Yeah, Smallville. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's and, a good okay, point. Okay, so yeah, they... how far away from Metropolis is Smallville? Like, comics-wise. Well, I mean, it's middle America, so I, I mean, it's... Yeah. I gave up. Especially with the TV show, <laughs> they cheated so much. Yeah, I heard with Smallville, they pretty much put it on the outskirts of town. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's like an hour's drive. On some episodes, they clearly would say three hours. It just, oh, okay. They would but back yeah. and forth. That They cheated. Like, normally, it's around Kansas, middle America type Mm -hmm. thing, and Metropolis is New York. Metropolis is up against the ocean, so how does that work? Right. (laughs) So, Metropolis is more or less New York, and Gotham is Joyzy. Loving it. Pretty much. All through the promotion before Batman v Superman came out, people were saying, they were basically saying Metropolis and Gotham are just kind of jersey to new york yeah yeah so yeah i i agree this is a very tiny universe Uh, we only get so many settings yeah but they did add one more chernobyl chernobyl well but not chernobyl not chernobyl (laughs) (laughs) yeah the russian family in danger thread was very annoying that was not just so unnecessary. It was just like the little family yeah. in Age of Ultron. Did you exactly. get those vibes? I got totally. those exact vibes. And yes, that was a Whedon insert. That had to have been. Well, it was. So, so you, you confirm it is? Oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Because I just guess based on the creative thumbprints that well, are on yeah, it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's so isolated. There's no other real... It doesn't put it in the universe built around what Zack Snyder was doing. Like, this is totally a Whedon insert to give, I I don't know, a, a normal person vibe for what's going on or the danger level. I mean, to be fair, pretty much every superhero movie does fall to that. Like in Spider-Man movies, you always see, you know, people in New York or a little kid that's going to be saved. Even in the X-Men films, I mean, if you remember like X-Men The Last Stand, when Magneto walks by that family in the car and they right. lock their doors, you know? <laughs> like, So it's common, but it just, in this case, it just felt so tacked on and unnecessary. I thought they were going to have a bigger part to play and just nothing came of it. Even like Whedon's Avengers, uh, there was the, the waitress. Mm-hmm. She was yeah. prominent throughout and it's like, who the heck is she? <laughs> So Delete, she could del- make a news deleted scene of there. when she's hitting on Captain America and Stan Lee is ah, like, "Get a number, you moron!" There you go. <laughs> so it was another cut scene by Whedon. Yeah. So, and and we should say this: uh, this definitely suffered from the crunch of making sure it was mm-hmm. under two hours. So, all of your future DC universe films are going to be two hours or less. 
That is a strict mandate. So basically, they just took everything that people hated about Batman v Superman. And we're like, we're going to do the opposite of that film going forward. This is their their official stance on, on movie production. Pretty much. Now, the one thing I want to say, though, like is, you know, we started out with the bad because I think each of us has a lot of good actually to share about this film. I have just one more thing I wanted to bring up before we get into, you know, some positives, hopefully here, because there's. It was a fun film. Um, but the, one of the things that Danny Elfman did here was he worked in a lot of themes, right? That pre-existing themes, especially ones he worked on. So we got the Batman theme several times from his 89 Batman film, which I thought was great. The animated series? I, I didn't... Was that what it was? was I think it, not, it was I, Batman the well, Animated Series. The Animated Series is very similar, though, to the, the film score. Like, it's he basically used, yeah. like, the same kind of sting. But he used the Superman theme as well, and the John Williams yeah. theme, And but it was used at a very awkward time. It was while Superman was still in his resurrection days, you know, and trying to punch the Flash. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you heard the Superman theme, and I was like, wait, what? Why yeah, is this happening now? Elfman did tease that. Mm-hmm. And he said, it was fun getting to play with John Williams' Superman theme and giving it a, a dark twist as we at a critical moment in the film where we don't quite know what team he's on or whose but side he's on. But it's such a on. triumphant sound yeah. to have. So it just didn't work. Like, it would have made much more sense at the very end, like we talked about, when the big guy comes in, right? Let that be his triumphant yeah, moment. That, that is what I envisioned when, I, when Danny Elfman first mentioned that. I'm like, oh, the moment when he arrives to save the day, that's when we'll hear it. Not when he's trying to beat the snot out of the Flash. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was very odd. But I have to say, you know, also... Somebody on Twitter reached out to me a couple weeks ago because they know of my love of the shadow. Obviously, we've talked about that. But Danny Elfman also must love the shadow because he borrowed a very important sting in the shadow theme for the Justice League Heroes theme. Oh, no. So I, We're going to have to yes. listen to this. Yeah, let's play it. So now, what do you guys think? Are you hearing it? Are you hearing those horns? Are you hearing that? Da, 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 da. Confession, I haven't seen The Shadow since the 90s. I'm really sorry. Oh. <laughs> you might have to listen to it a few times then. Alec Baldwin has become anathema to me, more yeah. or less. Being an audiophile, I, I can hear their similarities. It may be a twisted shadow theme. But uh, we'll, we'll leave it to the people. We'll put it up on Facebook, on Twitter. You guys tell us what you think. Yeah. We'll, we'll upload it yeah. to our YouTube page and then we'll link it. So settle it for us, guys. <laughs> However, that Pet Cemetery scene, that part when the Flash is moving around him and in slow motion, Superman is slowly turning towards him. His yes. eyeballs slowly turning. 
the look of anger the, on the his moment face. He and we realize that Superman is his speed. Yeah. <laughs> And the look on Flash's face, guys, that is a meme waiting to happen, and I am going to abuse it when it's available in high quality. He is gonna need another suit. We'll just put it that yeah. way. Oh, like, oh, I just, even though I knew it was coming, the second round, I still cracked up a whole bunch. That was so well done. Right. It's definitely a film where you're going to have your laughs. Mm-hmm. Like, Whedon punched it up so much that they're going to have moments that land. Exactly like when I went back for Thor the second time. Like, I know all the beats where everything's happening, but I still enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. This is one where, you know what, you're going in, you know it's going to be a romp. It's not going to be the dark and dreary world of Batman v Superman. And just enjoy it. Well, let's let's talk about that. Because, again, I, I always like to hear your expectation going in. Because we know the record of DC films at this point. And I, we've, we've reviewed quite a few of them on Sequel Check. Go back, check out Batman v Superman, Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman. BVS was my debut. Yep. So what with Justice League, did it really feel like an event to you? Did it feel like a big deal? Was it something you were really looking forward to or just curious about? Colton? I was terrified that it would be a hot mess because of all the behind the scenes drama yeah i mean i didn't know what the percentage was but the fact that warner brothers injected an extra 25 million dollars that's practically the budget for another film yeah i heard their budget blimp to almost 350 million oh wow oh i did not know that okay yeah yeah it was planned for all that henry cavill's facial hair ben affleck being discouraged to the point that he really doesn't want to be batman anymore Whispers that some scenes bat, that Ben Affleck's a little bit flabbier as a result of the passage of time. I don't know. Yeah. I heard so many things, and so I just went in with no expectations. Major curiosity, and I did end up having a lot of fun. But yeah, I can see, I could feel certain gears turning from the jarring changes that had gone throughout. The film is a fairly disjointed film. Yes, it's a Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Now, I went into it having more or less the mindset of what I do with the X-Men films. Like, they've disappointed so many times, and I had to set my bar low on this one. Wonder Woman, it was the nice surprise. It was the the outlier. Is there any truth to um, somebody was trying to get that scene of her running across the battlefield and saving that town? Did, that, did yes. they try to delete that? Yes. Is that true? They, oh my they, gosh. Patty Jenkins had to fight to keep it, is she what I did. heard. The No Man's Land scene yeah. in Wonder Woman. Yes, she had to fight tooth and nail in order to film it and keep it in so that's kind of what we're up against so i that's a freaking crown jewel uh, yeah exactly (laughs) that's the thing when you when you give directors kind of free reign to do their thing you have to trust their judgment in the editing room well Zack snyder has abused that i feel like (laughs) like that that's true most of the time unless it's Zack snyder who wants to make a three-hour film that is just dragging you down to the depths of despair so while being really really flashy having said this when was the last time you guys watched bvs uh the ultimate cut the extended cut Yeah, yeah um i would say about two weeks ago Okay. For me, it's been about six months. Okay. Yeah, I don't revisit that one often. I don't revisit it often at all. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I went back and I watched it the night before going to Justice League. Because I'd seen Wonder Woman recent enough, a couple times. I, mm-hmm. I'm good. I, I know what goes on. Man of Steel was more of a, a revision. You just kind of brief catch up. But 
I came away seeing where it almost felt like course corrections were made in this movie to bring arcs to a close. That way we have the characters in their most true form, I guess, one could say. Like, if we take them character by character, where do you feel you are at with Superman now versus Man of Steel or BVS? I'm really confused on why he's walking the streets in that trench coat. Uh, how is he going to explain? Superman's back. Oh, and Clark Kent's back at the same time. Yeah. How's that going to work? And glossed. Totally glossed. Uh, granted, that that's something that can be worked on down the road. Yeah. Okay. Well, to me, he was more like a tool than a character in this film. Not that he is a tool. Superman's a tool. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm saying he was like, like you said, he's the big guy who's going to come in. Oh, we got to resurrect him so he can save the day. None of us are strong enough. All that stuff. Like he wasn't really there to be developed further that way. It was just like, we got to have him because he's the strongest. And I was just like, huh. But did he not have development? Well, I feel like other characters developed around him, but what did he do? He came back to life and had a tender moment with Lois. Okay, but that's it. So what that, you're that's saying as much is as we saw of it, when he wasn't punching people. Superman behind the mother boxes was pretty much a MacGuffin. Yeah, absolutely. In a way. They were chasing him, yeah. But I also feel by the end of it, we have a different Superman. He's experienced death, which he really never anticipated ever getting to. Much like Logan... When at the end, he's like, oh, that's what it feels like. Yeah, and, I, and I'm curious to see what they do with him. Oh, but yes. I just, yeah, I didn't get anything from this film where I'm like, okay, this is his situation, but we didn't yeah. see any reaction on his part. I you saw won't it. let me live. You won't <laughs> let me die. Right. It's great. I I, that, all that stuff was yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Except for my crappy CGI close-up as I say these things. I saw enough from him that this is more of traditional superman from here on out i i see us getting to that point to where we are moving past the dark and dreary superman and it's going to be brighter and bubblier like i said before he was making a lot of quips at the climax of the film where he's just like don't worry about it guys i'm here now so uh, you know so he's just making jokes while he's saving the day or <laughs> his slowpoke line to the flash well and the fact that he's willing to yeah, you know, cutscene, or not cutscene, but end credit scene, have a race with the Flash. Bruce said that you're going to buy us brunch. <laughs> that uh, was, what a great stinger. Now, I know that there's a lot of comics history with the Flash and Superman racing each other over many decades. But the thing is, in the movie, we already saw the Flash is faster than Superman. He dodged all his punches, uh, you know? Except for that one. Uh, that's how I felt. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, he got the Flash was to trip, close. right? Okay. Well, we were able to see that both of them were faster than a speeding bullet. So is Diana, though. So is Wonder Agreed. Woman. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> uh, multiple speeding bullets. Yeah. I was going to say, machine gun bullets. I was like, yeah. oh, I, I love that moment where he's like, I don't believe it. What are you? I'm a believer. I, yeah, that what? moment felt overkill. That whole release thought, of energy. I, I thought it was That a whole corny. building came down. Like, you know, the whole building and everyone within it is dead. I except can, Diana. I can just, you know, there's Doomsday, boom, and then a smaller, boom. Okay, yeah, you're right. But let me say this, like, as far as Wonder Woman goes, when she shows up, kind of a corny introduction, but on top of that statue, yeah. there was a little girl behind me that just said, Wonder Woman! 
mom, look, it's Wonder Woman. She was so excited. And it was really heartwarming because I feel like, you know, she really is that inspirational character. And that was her arc in the film. And I love that she got to have that story you know, of saying you've been in hiding, being accused of being in hiding for all this time, because it doesn't seem like she goes out necessarily to help people all the time. It's just like when it's a world ending thing. So to see her at the very end, having stopped a robbery, then talking to kids like that was wonderful. I really thought that was great. And the moment you just described just reminds you that children, they just don't have any of the critical cynicism that we have. And and it's so beautiful and pure in its own way. For them, there's no such thing as crappy CGI. Well, the other part, too, is like, if you want to say for the, the other perspective, we're three guys here. But when Aquaman took off his shirt, the ladies in my audience were making cat calls like, woo, look at you! <laughs> like, they loved it. They were so I don't think it. anybody's brought me closer to being gay than Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, yeah, I mean, he was cut for sure, mm-hmm. man. Absolutely. All right, so we know the humor element was a lot of Joss Whedon. Now, there was one moment that it's rumored to have been in the original screenplay. Um, and that was Aquaman sitting around with the group having sat on the lasso yeah and pretty much revealing pretty deep dark truths that he believes about the whole group and how hot diana is but we basically got that scene you're just saying it was rewritten is your point uh the majority of it from what i'm reading is the majority of it was from the original script and there were a few lines, probably the, the Diana is hot thing was punched up You're by gorgeous. Joss. But that was a great reveal. I mean, that was a really good joke. I, I enjoyed that a lot. And any, pretty much any use of her lasso, again, at the end, when those two thieves that she caught are like, oh, and remember this one. Oh, yes, yes, and, and this job. You know, like, that was us too. Like, oh, right. <laughs> just, they, they get a lot of mileage out of that humor-wise, which I thought was pretty good. Well, I mean, it's a tool in the universe. You got to use it. But speaking of the Aquaman scene, we got Amber Heard as Mira, right? Yeah. How did you feel about her? I kind of enjoyed it. That kind of gives you a taste of what you'll get with James Wan and all of the undersea effects that they're going to work on. The air bubble was interesting. Mm -hmm. And we did get a little backstory on what Aquaman's been doing. Like, he's apparently not been back to Atlantis much. He's Right. He's kind of an exile, kind of an outlaw, kind of doing his own thing. Well, it kind of sounds like he's that, you know, uh, Viggo Mortensen from Lord of the Rings, right? Kind of the reluctant heir to the throne type thing. But I thought she was cool as, like, that she came off as such a strong character. Like, she got into the fight. She was trying to defend the mother mother box, you know? Like, so she's not just, you know, some pretty girl, pretty mermaid under the sea or something, you know? She's definitely there, like, look, I'm doing this because you're not. So I got to, you know, I got to take care of things here, which I thought was uh, nice. So I was like, okay, this Aquaman movie could be pretty good. And he wasn't as annoyingly macho as I thought he would be. I mean, he was, but in a, in a you know, in well, a I mean, way. just imagine a whole city of Atlantis talking like roided up surfer bros. <laughs> I think he's an anomaly. <sighs> he is very human. much an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Ray 
Fisher as Cyborg, I thought was fine. I'm more familiar with him as like the new Teen Titans comics from the 80s or like Teen Titans Go. So for me, it's hard to see him as a Justice League member. But it was just like, I know DC just wants to have their own Iron Man. So, you know, please welcome Cyborg, our (laughs) Iron Man, you know. Uh, Two for the price of one, Iron Man and a little diversity. Right. True. But I thought he was good. Like, I thought, you know, you understand his conflict a little. Ray Fisher is from Broadway, so he's got Oh, yeah, he's he's got got talent. Yeah. If these are gifts, then why am I still paying for them? Well, I love when he gave the Flash his fist bump at the end. Finally, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And his dynamic was that he still, like, he wakes up with new abilities. Like, he's still trying to figure out his whole power set, whatever's going on. He can't quite control it. The suit takes over self-defense. That's why Superman is fighting the Justice League is because his cybernetics decide, oh, he's a threat. So by the end, we actually get some development on his front to where he's able to control a suit enough to form his own suit to a more yeah, Justice he, League. He, he changed his chest plate at the end and smiled yeah. at his dad at his success. That was a cool. Yeah, to the recognizable cyborg out. I think the new Fifty Two or Rebirth, or whatever. It's closer to that. It's closer to comic accurate. Well, let's talk about that thing, because I feel like, you know, I guess maybe we should mention The Flash, and then let's get into some of, like, the more impressive moments to us. Yeah, yeah. But, so, how did you guys feel Ezra Miller? I know, I like, in previous podcasts, and, like, his cameo in Batman v Superman and all that, like, I was kind of down on him, and I wasn't sure how I was going to feel. And to me, he was obviously, you know, a breath of fresh air throughout the film. He was the main source of comedy. I still have concerns about a movie starring him when the Flash TV show has done such a great job so recently interpreting that universe and famous storylines. And even like that whole scene of visiting his dad in prison. I'm like, that should be John Wesley ship on the other side <laughs> of that glass. I've already seen this. Scene. I, I, mean, I mean, Billy yeah. Crudup isn't a bad actor. Just, you know, Dr. Manhattan is the father of the flash. Okay. Well, and the original Jimmy Olsen was the prison guard there. So I thought he was a police officer at the Superman monument. He was supposed to be that one. I okay. think. Yeah. And, and also, did you guys notice the little shot missing of uh, cyborg dealing with damage and going, you should probably move. Yeah, there were a lot of clips missing from trailers. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. The one that was most jarring was Alfred going, you're here. They said you'd come. Let's hope you're not too late. Yeah. Was that going to be Superman or was that going to be one of the lanterns? Uh, I don't know. I was going to say it could have been Lois. Maybe just Lois showed up. They put out an invitation. The big guns. I mean, that was for me like a moment where, and I don't know if you guys felt this way. I can't be the only one who expected Batman to shout out, Martha, to wake (laughs) up Superman. You know? No. I was glad it was Lois. DC needs to run away from that as fast as they can. (laughs) Yeah, I think they avoided it. Because regardless of how you feel about it personally, the narrative has been set that that is a lightning rod that's toxic. So Okay, so since we brought that up, do you feel that they piece together BVS and Justice League in that sense? And having watched BVS again, what do you feel that nightmare scene is? Is that an alternate timeline? And the potential for where Superman did break bad? And they didn't have Lois around? No, I think that's what's going to happen now that he's back. Because it's still a case of 
she could still die at any minute, and he would pet definitely, cemetery. you know, go evil. Yeah. yeah. The effects of Pet Cemetery might be dormant and show up later. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, we don't know that he's 100% himself. That's what they talked Maybe about. Maybe he'll be, be bizarre. That, that, that's exactly the same. Uh, for, forgive me. I'm not trying to get on a tangent. Just parallel. On the show Supernatural, the characters die and come back all the time. The first time that it happened, there was this jarring thing where the demon goes, are you sure that your brother came back as 100% Sam. So, yeah, so I maybe. And, and that paid off way later, so I'm wondering if maybe there's something about Superman's return that's going to pay off way later. Uh, yeah, potentially. I really feel the Flash scene, I'm feeling it more of alternate universe, alternate timeline. Like, hmm. it was the future, and him coming back has now changed that timeline. Oh, okay. That could and work. And in leading yeah. it up, it could be, because we're heading towards a potential Flashpoint movie, that we'll get some of this time travel and alternate timelines and changes and things of that I nature. I read this morning, they are actually, they're going to really have Batman be part of the Flashpoint interpretation on screen. Well, of course. I mean, I'm, he I'm, is in the comics. He is in the animated movie that yeah. was really good. They're going to have a Batman and the older father Batman, Thomas Wayne. Well, it, plus it feels to me like a Spider-Man homecoming dynamic where you've got a little bit. You know, the Tony Stark mentoring Peter Parker. Now you have Bruce Wayne mentoring Barry Allen. I mean, it just kind of seems like he's needs that guidance to figure out how to be a hero. Yes. And, I'm, and Batman, they even said Batman when she says like, you know, you can't do this forever. He's like, you can't barely do it now. <laughs> <laughs> and that may have been meta commentary by Ben Affleck. Also, yeah. <laughs> I thought about that too, yeah. He himself is a director. I'm certain that he pulled strings to let some of his input get in there, you know? But I have to tell you one moment that really got me emotionally, which there's not a lot of in this film, but I kind of got a little misty when Martha comes to visit Lois at work because I love the fact that their relationship continued after Clark's death, especially the mother-in-law drop. Like just that whole thing was very sweet. The, the awkward thirsty joke as well. Oh, that was great. Crack the audience up. That was definitely a Whedon insert. As was, I have to believe, well, actually, this might have been more Snyder humor, but the janitor's wife cussing out the aliens on the news report, my audience was rolling with that. That was definitely a Joss Whedon thing that was tossed in. There's no way that wasn't Whedon. I, I will bet my life on it. Um, that, that, don't get me wrong, that was a great scene between Martha and uh, Lois. But I can't help but wonder, was Joss Whedon attempting to fulfill the Bechdel test with that scene? Because he's, uh, he's a, a hardcore bit. feminist. A little bit. And for those who don't know, the Bechdel test is essentially it's it's two women on screen having a conversation that does not mention, reference, talk about a man, a male character that's, in any That's way. my question. They, but it failed. They, they briefly say him in reference to Clark's death, really briefly, but most of the time they're focused on each other. So did it did it fail the test by simply using that pronoun him just once? Yeah. B plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, J- Joss Whedon. I didn't say he was a very good feminist. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get down to the the nitty gritty details of moments we loved and Easter eggs because there's yeah. a lot in this. They delved into the mythology and the whole reason we know about Steppenwolf and the past is. The Amazons faced him in the past, and thus this story has been passed down through Diana, and she explained that the armies of men teamed up with 
the Amazons, the Atlanteans. And this little throwaway, Green Lanterns came and helped. Hey! And... Oh, and... The Old Gods. Oh, Zeus, yeah. We get to see Zeus in action. We get to see Ares before he killed Zeus, fighting on behalf of the Earth. And all of these armies fought off Steppenwolf in the past. Which, can I just say, like, I thought, because they talked about, like, with Diana becoming a leader and, like, a symbol and like superman 2 i thought that somehow like they were going to unite nations or a bunch of different groups not just them as a group fighting well you, know, you first have lead. to unite some leaders from each of the groups in i order guess to so. get people to to team up so that'll pay off when dark side shows up because i mean there weren't there weren't even governments getting involved yeah, with this nothing. like this was just the Justice League doing whatever they wanted. Yeah, where were the tanks? Where were the jets? Where, you know, there's like yeah. nobody was trying to stop this. They, well, that's Chernobyl, but not Chernobyl. Don't yeah. worry about it. <laughs> they, they did say that, though. Remember, the family says, but who would care about us or who would come to help us? You know, like right. so maybe that was their point of putting it in that setting. So we did see a Green Lantern mm-hmm. came in. There were some lanterns that fought and we did see one bite the dust and the ring flew off his hand and gone what would have been really cool Mm -hmm. is one of the ending scenes we see the ring fly out and find its holder its new holder granted are you telling me it would have traveled for thousands of years years. yeah Yeah. (laughs) i'm just like do rings really wait that long to find a worthy person well it is earth Now, I'll tell you one for me that was, I don't even know if you guys caught this, but when Aquaman pulls Superman out of his coffin in the Kryptonian ship, we see that Clark is dressed in a blue suit Mm -hmm. and a striped tie. And that was all through the 70s and 80s. That was Clark Kent. Right. And they even made a mail away superpowers action figure with that outfit. So that made me smile a whole bunch. Like that was, I was so excited to see that small costume I I didn't know about that. That's uh, that's nice. Yeah, it was a little, little thing. But uh, I was a little taken aback by how he blasts out of there and the pants seem to be intact, but the rest are gone so that he could basically have a Chris Hemsworth moment. (laughs) More hoots and hollers from the ladies in my crowd. (laughs) Not as much as for Jason Momoa, but Henry Cavill got a little bit. What about for you guys, what about a little bit of the the Batman reference that we got to some of his villains? Oh, the winding, exploding penguins. Yeah, that was fun. That was already in the trailers. Did I miss any any others? Sometimes just stuff just sneaks past, you know? And I think that was it for that. Because like even I expected... uh, gordon to mention something you know to add a little bit more which he was fine but i felt like he was going to be so much more awesome than he was so i guess we wait for a batman solo film for him to do more yeah because he was just kind of there you know and all the all they said was you know he's he's been fighting crime for 20 years you think he turns around and starts committing them or whatever like that was pretty much all he had to offer us (laughs) well and we don't know what was cut so We'll uh, we'll have to see. Now, can we just talk about the final scene? Because Deathstroke, Joe Manganiello. But to me, he'll always be Flash Thompson. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm just messing. I'm just... When I saw that boat driving up and there was that silhouette of those ties coming off his mask, yes, flapping, I was like, that's that. Deathstroke. Yeah. Like, that was super psyched about that. I mean, although, I, again, I always think of him as a Teen Titans villain. 
but I assume he'll eventually be in that film too. Whenever that happens, yeah. you know, he'll, he seems like kind of the b- bad guy who's going to go all around. Well, actually he was part of what they call the injustice league. And I believe that's kind of where they're going. That was the insinuation is what if we have a league of our own? It was nice to actually see Deathstroke on the screen and they did pretty good with yeah. raying out his whiting out his hair. Yeah. That, that scene, it had me amped for, I hope they go that route rather than going directly to dark side. Yeah. It'd be nice. Yeah. Some just earthbound villains that have a plan. I mean, I, and I like, you know, it was cool to see Luther again. I mean, I was glad that, you know, however we felt about him in Batman v Superman, I think he still has uh, some sinister machinations to reveal like that. Jesse Eisenberg, he's not bad. I like that. He's like a kind of a newer age villain, you know, than a, an old bald guy. That's just angry all the time. And, and he told, he rolled it back a little bit this time. Well, he's had some growth in Arkham. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but because it's Jesse Eisenberg, not because of Lex Luthor, but because it's Jesse Eisenberg, I just there was a part of me that just wanted to see him like get a wedgie from the Riddler or something like that. He's just <laughs> such a nerd. He, he is such a Michael Sarah type. I wanted to see that. You know, wishful thinking. I feel like he's not quite as wussy as Michael Sarah, though. I think Jesse oh, Eisenberg oh, oh, yeah, yeah. nervous, but not wussy nervous. S- same ballpark, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Me, I just tried to just drink in the film. I went back and... I just... I had to go back because I know it's not a perfect film. I, I treat it like a Big Mac, you know? It's not really good for you, but man, you gotta have one once in a while. I gotta have a Big Mac with my veggies once in a while, and so that's how I feel about this film. I feel similarly to the way I felt, you guys might not like this, uh, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That film's an amazing disaster. It's 4 out of 10 for me. Adam, weren't you a fan of that one? Oh, I'm sorry. I am, but probably in the same way I'm a fan of this one is, yeah, the story's kind of a mess, but yeah. they work in so many good things that you're like, okay. It's passable. I go back and revisit The Amazing Spider-Man 2 every once in a while, and it's just, it's a fascinating mess. I give it a 4 out of 10, but I want to go back and see it again every once <laughs> in a while because it's a fascinating mess. I kind of felt similarly here. I would have to say my rating here is 7 out of 10. Could change. You never know. My, the theatrical cut of BVS that that started out as seven out of ten, it's gone down since. The ultimate cut has gone up to nine out of ten. I just that's how I'm wired. I really like the full exposition. You can make. I know three hours seems long, or two and a half hours seems long, but you play your cards right, it can work. And I felt it worked for me. It all depends on the pacing, mm-hmm. right? Like for example, The Dark Knight. That is the fastest two and a half hours I've ever had in a movie. <laughs> I just whoosh, no fluff. No. Adam, where do you sit on this movie? Well, you know, obviously, I kind of teased in several previous sequel chat episodes that I was not looking forward to this film at all. You know, I basically had kind of three reasons: the trailers had been horrible. You know, the first one was too jokey. The other ones just didn't give any context for the story. I felt like so I had nothing to look forward to. You know, because we'd already seen a big crossover superhero movie with a great buildup in the Avengers and this one it felt like more like they were trying to play catch up you know Batman v Superman already broke the DC team up barrier so it's really not innovative and then the two DC films that are the most rewatchable to me were Wonder Woman and my personal favorite Suicide Squad so DC's pretty much at a 50% success rate for me so I had to grade <laughs> it on a curve because they've been problematic you know I was hard 
last week on Thor Ragnarok because to me it was like an A student bringing home a report card with all C's. Marvel, you can do better than this. Just take yourself at least a little bit seriously. And Justice League has a more even tone to it in the style I prefer, which is a dramatic storyline with the characters taking the stake seriously but peppering humor in throughout. So that's how I like my superhero movies. Wonder Woman is still a better movie and I will watch Suicide Squad and day of the week over any of these movies i love it so much but justice league also gets a seven from me i mean it's a solid b minus you've shown some real improvement here warner brothers bravo adam you're a national treasure (laughs) (laughs) i'm the only one he's he's got such a charitable attitude for the ghostbusters reboot for suicide squad but that's the great thing about film it's art it's subjective so i try to hold back on my crap talk you know <laughs> they made these films somebody's got to enjoy them and who are you gonna go- oh, sorry i can't go <laughs> yeah i like it i like it but to me it's the same thing suicide squad fascinating mess uh, i love it it's entertaining endlessly but jeremy how about you with this one I, i'm sitting at a six i've only seen it once it may go up but probably not it's an enjoyable six. It's It has its moments. It's only at a six because the execution of everything is what fails it. Now, had it been executed better, had they... Pushed it back so they could work on stuff some more? Or just let him have the stupid beard. You wouldn't have the CGI lip that took me out of every scene. It was like Superman got a fat lip, so they punched him. It took me out, and that that really just pulls you out of it. But as for the humor and the laughs and the enjoyability, I enjoyed it. It's it's a horrible mess, much like, what could I say, Black Sheep? (laughs) The Chris Farley comment. Like, it's a mess, and it doesn't quite work. That's a great comparison. But it's funny. Yeah. It has enough moments that it makes it enjoyable. And the Library of Congress is not going to archive it anytime soon. <laughs> no. The Copyright Office has, but yeah. the Library of Congress is still not going to call. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting at a six. It's just going to stay at a six. I enjoy, in a different way, what DC's course corrections have done to the universe. Unlike Marvel, that's been, this is what we're doing. And everything goes. Well, as we're closing here, and we're, we're talking about the Marvel comparison, which I'm actually surprised we've, we've kind of not leaned too heavy on that. You know, Avengers I tried. Versus I Justin tried. Wayne. I really yeah. tried. Yeah. But I, I want to I add something very interesting here. Just a little piece of comics history, because we also haven't talked about the source material. But I, I wanted to let you guys know. So, you know, because the Justice League premiered in Brave and the Bold comics in 1960, you know, and superhero comics had been dead, like all through the the 50s you know so you know there have been prototype teams in the 40s like justice society of america you had golden age flash and wonder woman and green lantern and hawkman you know and then timely comics had the all winners squad which was like proto avengers they had captain america and namor and the original human torch but then in the 50s it was all westerns and romance and sci-fi comics like superheroes nobody wanted them then dc updated the flash Suddenly superheroes were popular again. And then they said, okay, we're going to team up all the big names, all these superheroes in one. So you had Justice League of America, Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter. Oh yeah, that guy. But the thing is, they actually accomplished something even more impressive than saving the world by joining forces. And that is, I don't know if you guys have heard this story. It's the famous story that 
DC's publisher, Jack Leibowitz, was playing golf with Martin Goodman, who was the publisher of Atlas Comics. And Jack was bragging about how much his super team book, Justice League, was selling so great. So Goodman goes to his nephew, who was running his comics line, and told him, come up with a super team for us. And that man, that nephew, was Stan Lee. Stan Lee. That book was the first Marvel comic, Fantastic Four. So without the Justice League, there would be no Marvel Cinematic Universe. No Marvel First Family. Yeah, yeah no Marvel nothing. First Family, no Avengers. So if nothing else, even if the film's a mess, the core of the Justice League and their history gave us every Marvel film mm-hmm. you love. So much props and respect there. Uh, my question is, concerning all the love of director's cuts and extended cuts and ultimate cuts, I've been hearing, it's pretty definitive, there isn't going to be a special cut of this film because... What we heard of before from the previous vision, it was a rough cut. They didn't finish the effects. They were still feeling things out. And when they decided it wasn't working, they did the massive reshoots, and those got the proper treatment. So, and my other question is, is any of the Henry Cavill stuff, is any of that stuff going to get more work before they send it to video, or is this film done? Yeah, are they going to bother at this point to fix it up? Because the reason I ask is because they have, when it comes to... The contrast, the tone, they have been tweaking BVS, the digital copy. Oh. I've been I've been reading reports. People are saying, I have the Blu-ray, and the digital matched the Blu-ray, and then one day the digital didn't match the Blu-ray anymore. Ah. They've been messing with that. So I'm wondering, how how much are they willing to mess? How much George Lucas do they you have? You know, I didn't notice that when I was watching my digital copy, so... Yeah, maybe do a compare and contrast. Somebody put up a few YouTube videos showing, and I'm like, wow. They, in order to have a, an aesthetic consistency between the films, they went and, you know, adjusted them. Tweaked things. Yeah. Huh. I heard as of today, Zack Snyder still hasn't even seen it, so... Well, I'd imagine, yeah, it's difficult for him probably to... Oh, of course, of course. ...into that, yeah, so... And all the best for all, you know, all the trash talk we do for Zack Snyder. You know, we wish him and his family all the best, of course. Through tragedy and everything. Right. He would make an excellent director of photography. Yeah. Make a great DP. What cool. Yeah. Stories, not so much. And that's kind of what he is. He's a novelty. A visual stylist. A visual stylist, yes. And in a way, I kind of missed that with Whedon's cut. Because the whole justice league on screen we didn't get that iconic or at least it didn't feel iconic to me yeah none of the action was memorable to me at all right maybe we're it's just because we're living in a in a post marvel's avengers movie mostly post bvs because bvs we got the trinity like we got that iconic shot of the three of them and so the novelty had worn off for this all right well any final thoughts just give it a watch keep the expectations low but be ready to have a good time and uh you know again it's a step in the right direction you'll walk out with a better feeling than probably some of their previous films all right all this talk has me wanting to go watch the avengers so we will sign off for tonight and hope you uh Find some enjoyment in Justice League. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know your reactions. Find us on Facebook. And this new DCEU will be interesting going forward. We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at SequelQuestPod.com. Now!